1: Hey, what is up everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by Blue by Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I am the host as always and joining me is my guy Tyler. Tyler, what's up man? How are you doing today?
2: I am not frustrated, not tired, but yesterday I set aside, you know, a good chunk of a few hours to get through prospects and try to just, you know, a couple edge rushers, a receiver maybe, a tight end. And I'm cranking out all this work and I'm watching and I'm taking notes and I've got grades and I go to make my big board and it's 11 players <laughs> after the last like three weeks of watching guys. I don't know how some people do it. I don't know how some people dedicate their entire lives to it, but um,
1: yeah, a long way to go to even just try to get to 50. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's something about us on this show. You know, we, uh, we will not shortchange this process. You know, I, I don't take notes. I mean, I take notes while I'm watching a prospect, right? But I don't, I'm don't. i not able to slap a grade on somebody realistically and feel comfortable about it until I at least watch like four games. And sometimes, you know, for a player that I'm like really conflicted on or a player or two players that I'm like, you know, trying to break a tie on, you know, I'll go back to and watch some 2021 tape as well. Or, or, you know, sometimes even 2020, like depending on like, you know, like Brian Brzee in this class, right? Everybody's like, okay, like, kind of have to throw the tape out the window this year obviously because of the circumstances around his injury and his sister passing away so him you have to go back three years to like realistically get a feel of like what he's like on tape so uh yeah it's it's always funny like obviously we're we're late a little bit later on in the process right but like you know, when the Chargers are, are heading into their playoff game, people are like, oh, like it's so-and-so or bust. I'm like, it's January. Like, what are we doing here? Like, let's let this process play out a little bit more and see where we're at, you know, like mid-March or so.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first mock that Daniel Jeremiah sent for the Chargers last year, I believe, was Bernard Raymond, who ended up going like fourth or fifth round and was getting yeah. bullied. By Braden fahoko and company um <laughs> in that game so you know things change quite a bit of course i don't remember a lot of people having you know, even zion on their radar i think for the most mm-hmm. part it was tackle or wide receiver which it seems to be most every year anyway um it ended up being ended up being zion so i mean somebody had zion on a mock once i can't remember who it was
1: yeah, i don't know who would that be uh <laughs> we loved them we loved them yeah. those. that was easy <laughs> Yeah, no, this time last year it was uh, Jordan Davis or Bust. You know, everybody wanted the Chargers to take Jordan Davis. And, you know, oh, he's not going to be a top 15 player. Like, he'll, he's definitely going to be there. And, and, like, he, they're going to have – they're going to be able to take him. And then, you know, he goes and runs, like, a four, six, seven, or whatever it at the combine. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then people are like, oh, shit. Like, he's not going to be on the board anymore. It's like, yeah. yeah. You got to uh, let this process play out. I mean, now that we have the Senior Bowl – uh behind us you know it's it's definitely full speed ahead but uh you know we'll get there we're putting in the hours obviously I've been watching uh I joked earlier this week that I wasn't gonna be watching the running backs anytime soon and then everybody kept on talking about Bijan Robinson I was like okay I'll watch Bijan and then I'll call it and then I'm yeah. not doing running backs for like I'm gonna put them last mm-hmm. and then I was like I can't just have one running back radio that's gonna piss me off so uh I'm through four I'm through four running backs at this point so you know oh. here we go yeah, wasn't a wasn't a huge Gibbs
2: fan, I believe.
1: No, Jamari Gibbs from Alabama. I, um, you know, he's he's not like the more I learn about like what's successful in the NFL and like really like mm. what becomes an RB one, I just don't really see it with Gibbs. Like, I think he can be definitely a legitimate, you know, quality change of pace back. Um, but to me, he just doesn't have the contact balance. He doesn't have the patience, mm. the vision. Uh, that I think really require that you require in the NFL to be able to, you know, make people miss, uh, you know, in the hole, create yards from nothing. Like, I think those two things are really underrated, uh, when it comes to like judging NFL running backs. So I think you could be like a Michael Carter type for the jets or, you know, that kind of role where he's, you know, giving you 600, 700 yards rushing, you know, four or 500 yards receiving. He is a really good receiver. Absolutely. Um, but I I'm laughing like at all these people who are like putting him in like like a shade below Bijan Robinson and I'm like that's no like that's not even close like to me he's closer to like that Michael Carter mm. or like a James Cook kind of receiver not saying he's them I think he's better than that that kind of mm-hmm. prospect but people who have him like really close to Bijan I'm like I I don't see that at all
2: yeah It's been a few years since we graded him not many but where would you have Bijan compared to Najee Harris
1: I would have Bijan ahead of Najee Um, in that class. I I think I had Javante Williams higher than Najee, actually, if I remember Hmm. correctly, Um, Bijan, I think like he just does some very unique things. Like, I think he's going to be a very interesting like case study in terms of where he gets drafted because like we've seen running backs be so devalued, but right. As Frank, Frank points out, I do think he is a top five talent in this class. Like I think, from a pure grade standpoint, right now I have him as my second highest graded player I've I've graded in the last four years, right behind Panay Sewell. So um, wow. Okay. Bijan's got an insane grade, man. Like I think he gives you everything that you could possibly want from a from a running back in today's game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's able to go out and and realistically, I think he could be a slot receiver like full stop if he really wanted to um but just the ability to make people miss in the hole the ability to have that burst at the second level he's he can make people he can uh you know run people over you know he's stiff arming alabama linebackers and and safeties like it's 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 nothing so i don't know like it's he's gonna be on my wish list i still think i would probably prefer one of the edge rushers for the chargers but like if he's sitting there at 21 and it's like him or like you know Jalen Hyatt or Michael Mayer, like I think I honestly would prefer Bijan at this point. Well, you know I have to ask the question then: Bijan Robinson or Dalton Kincaid? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would still be Bijan. I, I love Dalton. Oh, wow. there's a lot of there's a lot of personal connection there, personal you know fondness and mm-hmm. um, you know I, lots of emotional attachment. But I think Bijan is i think he walks into the league and is a top 5 running back in the league right away.
2: Yeah, I mean I mean I don't think the Eagles are going to take him, but they're certainly in a spot and that's kind of like the popular one right now is Bijan with yeah. the Eagles. Um yeah. if that ends up being the case, yeah, you can you can stick
1: him top 2, top 3 in the league immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some other better landing spots, but I think in this in this class where there aren't like a ton of blue chip prospects, like I think Bijan is absolutely one of them, and theoretically, like that's somebody who should go in the top fifteen. But Mm -hmm. you know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, Yeah, so here today we're we're here to talk about some uh, Super Bowl takeaways, some lessons that the Chargers can learn. Uh, We got Alex in the chat. What's up, Alex? Appreciate you tuning in today. Um, So we're going to talk about some. Uh, lessons that the Chargers could learn from the Eagles, from the Chiefs, uh, in order to kind of make their their own leap. We do this every single year. I feel like it's a very common one. Um, I wrote a a pretty extensive article about this for LAFB last year about the Bengals and the Rams, so Mm. excited to dive in here. Before we dive in there, uh, Tyler, obviously, you know, food is a big aspect of the Super Bowl. Mm. So what are your top three Super Bowl uh dishes that you gotta have on Super Bowl Sunday, and then we'll uh dive into the real stuff.
2: We sort of try to theme it up. So, like my okay. m- mom's making cheesesteaks tomorrow. Ooh, she's nice. from Philly. So, like it kind of just depends. We could do some like sort of barbecue thing as well. But as Eagles fans, at least my family, um, you know, we're doing cheesesteaks. Um, she does always make these like crispy doughy artichoke triangles that are just so good! I, um, I saw a picture of them. There's like six different stacks of trays in the freezer right now, um, with these artichoke triangles. They'll be amazing. So those. Um, after that, I don't know if I have like another go-to. I just it's kind of just the theme of the, the game, I guess. Um, <laughs> rice, I know that's kind of on <laughs> brand. Um, but everything goes well with rice, so I would have rice, whatever the theme of the week is, and then for like a, a food grab,
1: you know, bite sort of thing artichoke triangles i'm gonna i'm gonna need that uh recipe for the artichoke triangles that sounds amazing so good. uh speaking of rice did you see the picture of food that brayden posted i think it was on like thursday with rice in it he's been just posting things <laughs> it's just all this well he's posting a lot of things but
2: um yeah the the rice with something on i forget what it was It was like um, the rice with the spaghetti in it i was like yeah uh, i don't know it's a, that, that's that's a, a whole different tier like i'm I'm like, and I like my rice, but I don't like this like rice with spaghetti and like, he just, (laughs) he just looked like he found whatever was in the pantry and was like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, it'll be Doritos and hot sauce and Kraft mac and cheese and rice, like just threw whatever he wanted on that. But I guess, you know, nose tackle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, Well, we got a couple people pointing out uh, the beer looking good today, Tyler. So there you go. (laughs) <laughs> why
2: today <laughs> okay i don't know Thank, thanks guys no i appreciate that
1: <laughs> um asians
2: don't grow beards so i have no idea i have no idea what i'm doing
1: yeah this is this is the this is the white side of you i guess
2: yeah i have no idea what's going on if you're wondering what like genetic variation looks like uh that's me i guess <laughs> because i have uh dark hair and
1: a reddish blondish beard so i have no idea there you go. I'm at the point now in my life where I'll get like random gray beards in my mm. gray beards, gray hairs in my beard, and uh Brooke likes to pluck them out because she she thinks it looks weird <laughs> that I just, like I'll get like one random gray he- gray hair here, like oh yeah, here, and, and she'll she'll yank him out. So there yeah,
2: my dad has like perfect dark hair like his entire life. Um, he'll ne- it'll be like a, when he dies, he'll be a skeleton with an afro, but he's got like. <laughs> one gray hair and like one spot and like that that's his one weakness like that is the missing scale in
1: smog's armor um i'm jealous there we go there we go uh all right so my top 3 uh solo points out uh you got to have a dip i'm a big chip and dip uh fan at the super bowl um lately i've been doing this um because i like to make them that's this is this is my contribution to the super bowl party so mm. uh i do this uh spicy italian sausage queso dip so it's spicy ground sausage it's cheddar cheese cream cheese sour cream and then um onions and cilantro oh. and it is like it's just everybody oh. loves it it's it's definitely it's definitely a crowd pleaser so um that's the go-to i love i'm i'm a good i'm a sucker for a good queso dip and uh that's the one with spicy italian sausage yeah um other than that um my mother-in-law makes these like little miniature hot dogs that she wraps in crescent rolls yeah those are fire um Mm -hmm. and then also like sliders are fantastic Sliders Um, great i'll eat wings i'm not i'm generally not a, a huge fan of wings i don't like getting my whole face and my my, all my hands messy eating wings so um a place that goes that does really good wings i'll eat with like pizza but for the super bowl like i don't want to have to like go wash my hands and like go sit down and watch the rest of the game so yeah dip uh like some kind of mini hot dog corn dog kind of thing yeah and then the sliders i think would be my top three yeah i think i liked the food at the super bowl before i actually liked
2: watching football it was just like (laughs) oh whoa, cool we have food great so you just like whatever it was at the time, you know, and like we had less money then. So just kind of whatever we could you know, frozen teriyaki chicken skewers or, you know, cream puffs or something like it was just cool to hang out, watch Super Bowl. Of course, eat some dip, like you said. So, yeah, fun stuff. There we go. Are you a are you a deviled eggs guy? No, I, I'm I'm hit or miss when it comes to eggs. I don't like hard boiled eggs. I don't care too much for deviled eggs. Um,
1: It really just kind of depends. Yeah, I'm. I'm the same way. I'm. I'm. Anything that's like egg based, I'm. I'm not a huge fan of. You know, like egg salad. Just no. Not. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. There's um one thing I I, I can't stand because I just
2: had a rough experience with it. it was like it was like potato salad or macaroni salad, which I know is like a big thing and it's something everyone brings to some potluck or event or something. But I just had one when I was in Chicago and I was just trying to be nice and I just got sick after I ate it. And I just, I can't eat it anymore. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, those those kind of foods are always fun. You know, I got really sick one time from eating Jimmy John's, and I cannot go back and eat it ever again. Am I frozen? Yeah, you look frozen a little bit. Why am I so excited? I, I, I'm still here. <laughs> what happened? What were, what were you talking about then? I don't know. Let me come back. There we go. We're good. Am we're I back? back? Yep, you're back. Okay, great. All right, so we'll uh, we'll get into the nitty-gritty. I obviously love the food takes on this uh, on this show, <laughs> as we always have them. But, uh, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, I think it's a good excuse to talk about food. So, um, all right, we're going to talk about, again, some lessons that the Chargers can learn from the Chiefs and the Eagles. I think um, there's a lot to be said about these two teams and the way that they've, they've each kind of gone about building their rosters to getting to this point. Um, I think one thing that definitely stands out, like looking over the draft history of both of these teams, is how fickle the the draft really can be at certain times. Uh, you know, the Chiefs in particular, you know, they got three starter, three quality starters from last year's draft in 2021. Uh Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith. And then this year, this past year, they got Trent McDuffie, George Karloftis, Brian Cook, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, all playing meaningful snaps for them. Mm-hmm. uh in this draft uh, and this is not necess- necessary. a lesson i just wanted to point it out yeah in 2020 they went clyde edward clyde edwards <laughs> hilaire yeah. willie gay jr lucas niang Legarius need michael dana and Thadarius keys so that's that's a little bit kind of mediocre ish but then in 2019 it's Nicole hardman juan thornhill Kalen saunders rashad fenton darwin thompson nick allegretti 2018 was Breeland Speaks, Derek Nandi, Dorian O'Daniel, Armani Watts, Tremont Smith, and Khalil McKenzie. So they went like all 2018 and 2019 without getting like legitimate starting talent. And then it was like, boom, here's like nine starters in the last two drafts. So I just thought that was a funny thing to point out in terms of like roster building and and how fickle the draft really can be at times.
2: Yeah, they were not a great drafting team. I mean, they got Patrick Mahomes, so that kind of buys you some time. <laughs> Right. And then suddenly, as as soon as the money kicked in, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll drop pretty well. And yeah. suddenly, they just have – I mean, it's sick to look at the Chiefs. There was a point where you thought, okay, like, I mean, they're they're going to move you – know, pay Matt Patrick Mahomes. You know, they moved on from Tyreek Hill. Like, this is it. This is it, guys. And then they just had to knock it out of the park drafts. This past one, I mean, and they have some guys waiting in the wings that could be good, too, yeah. just for depth purposes uh it's sickening because there was a point where the chargers really could have taken over and instead the chiefs went oh yeah we'll just have you know top 3 drafts two years in a row and find instant contributors some of them you know all pro talent kind of guys
1: uh it's sick but good for them i guess <laughs> must be nice uh you know <laughs> getting three starters on the day on the third day Ooh. of the draft is is uh crazy all right, so in terms of uh lessons learned, I'm gonna start with the Eagles here. And I think the Eagles in this particular matchup and really the, the whole season, right? Like their biggest advantage, I think, over every team is what they're able to do in the sense of the pass rush, at least on defense. So um, you look at you know, they've got they have like 75 sacks or whatever it is, they have five guys over 10 sacks this year. It's just been insane. But uh Howie Roseman uh is obviously you know very intentional with like how he wants to build his football teams and a lot of it is through the pass rush and so i went back and looked um and so he became the general manager for the eagles in 2010 and there was like a weird stint where he was like president of football operations instead and then went back to being the gm um but since 2010 the eagles have drafted at least one edge rusher in every Mm -hmm. single draft again that's that's 12 drafts of the chart that the Eagles have had since Howie Roseman took over and they have taken at least one edge rusher in every single draft. Like not every single one is going to be a hit. Right. But sure. I think you really look at this list of players and you know, sometimes it's, it's a Brandon Graham in the first round. And that's been a fantastic pick for them. Other times, you know, it's a joke. It's a Joe Kruger or a, uh, Taylor Hart in the third rounds or the fourth rounds or the fifth rounds. And you don't really know who those guys are, but they do it so frequently that it gives them more chances to find somebody like a Josh sweat who they took Mm -hmm. in the fourth round. And Josh sweat has been arguably their best pass rusher this year. Um, You know, it's either him or Hassan Reddick. So they take shots at the pass rusher market so often in the draft that every once in a while, like you're just going to hit on one. And you never know if that guy is going to be a double digit sack guy for you. And, you know, I I think that's similar to like my takeaway last year from the Bengals was that the Bengals is uh, the Bengals takeaway was that they take a receiver every single year, like at some point in the draft. And you just want as many bites of the apple as you can have Mm -hmm. at these premium positions. And I think the Eagles, you know, exemplify that from a defensive line standpoint. So um, the Chargers, since Tom Telesco has taken over, uh, he did not take a pass rusher in his first draft in 2013. He took Jeremiah Tauchu in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Emanuel in 15. And then there wasn't an outside pass rusher. Or, excuse me, Joey Bosa was 2016. My bad. And then no outside pass rusher in 2017. Then Chen Wosu in 2018. M.K. Eggblade in 2019. No outside pass rusher in 2020. No outside pass rusher in 2022 and then Chris Rumpf in 2021. So the, mm-hmm. the Chargers are basically every other year they'll take a pass rusher. The Eagles are every year. And I think that's a change that the that Tom Telesco company should absolutely adopt going forward.
0: It,
2: really in general, and you said it, it's the investment in premium positions. You know, maybe it isn't an edge rusher. And if you have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, I understand that you're not going out and just like, I'm gonna take an edge rusher and round run, or round two. But like right. it's you can't neglect Them overall. And that was part of our grips with the draft class the Chargers had last year. It wasn't necessarily the players that they had. I I think you know you can see a world where a lot of these guys develop and you know do well in this league, but they just ignored the premium positions. And now, what are the Chargers' biggest needs heading into the draft before free agency? They don't have a right tackle and there's no backup plan behind that. They need a receiver because they at some point will need to move on from their guys. They need an edge rusher because they did not have that last year. I mean, Derek Tuska, Jeremiah Tatchu, all respect to them. <laughs> but like these teams, the Chiefs, the Eagles, they've been able to avoid the cliffs that have been plaguing the Chargers. I get yeah. it. Not every single guy can be an excellent player. You know, you can't just have, you know, an Andre Dillard or whoever waiting behind Trey Pipkins and just doing nothing. But then like he can start and, you know, does OK for you it doesn't always work out like that, but you have to keep trying. You can't just have like the process of not invoking on, on, tackle here, but the results of Trey Pipkin's working out is fantastic. The process of relying on him and storm Norton and one of those two to work out. And that's, it was terrible. Not to mention you had Jamari Sawyer. like thank God for Jamari Salyer <laughs> because you had no plan. It would have been storm Norton foster Sarah against, you know, Nick Bosa and the 49ers. Thank goodness yeah. for Jamari Salyer you need to have a better process than that. Um, you know, the, 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 Eagles, did they need to go get Milton Williams in the fourth or fifth round last year? Maybe not, but now he's doing great work for them. You know, did they need to go get Teron Jackson? Not necessarily. Did they even need to go trade for Robert Quinn? No, <laughs> not really, but they have him. And if something happens where someone gets hurt, you have Robert Quinn as edge four. you know, like you're doing okay yeah. for yourself. And I think, you know, when I'm looking at the Eagles, you talked about, um, You know, I'm looking at the Chiefs. He talked about the Eagles and the pass rushers. Look at the Chiefs this year with their receiving room. You know, they're the best passing offense in the league. Granted, again, you have Mahomes, you have Andy Reid. It's always going to be good, but they didn't just rely on that. There was no, you know, oh, we'll just like have our two main guys and that's it. I mean, Sky Moore is like their wide receiver five, maybe, and he's a guy who, you know, for like what, 65 yards against the Chargers in that second matchup. Like their room, it's not a superstar room. That was kind of the point. Obviously, they moved on from Tyree Kill, but they have a deep rotation. And in the middle of the year, they go, yeah, let's go get Kadarius Kater- Tony. And I bet you in the Super Bowl, we're going to see some plays where, you know, the investment was worth it. He's going to make some of these special plays for them. You know, and I mean, the room is McCole Hardman, who's I believe on IR now. But mm-hmm. Kadarius Tony, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore. Is that the greatest, you know, tandem or trio you can field, you know, in the NFL? No, of course not. You know, the Eagles have that duo by a mile. But they have a deep room. And if someone gets hurt, you know, we're not going from, you know, like Josh Palmer is the last guy in the receiving room who could like actually step up and do something in a starting offense. For the Chargers, I mean, they hit a cliff where they, they couldn't even... Find a guy, they couldn't even field more than five guys or excuse me, dress more than five guys on game day. You know, at one point they had Jason Moore and they were just making him inactive. You know, Michael Bandy, they couldn't really find out much to do with him. And, and part of that's the offensive scheme, sure, but they they just did not have the guys. Right. And maybe I missed this from the you know, the Eagles or Chiefs, I don't know. But I don't think there was a point where you know the offensive coordinators for each team were up there on the podium going, Yeah, we just don't have speed we just don't have the guys. Um because they weren't begging for the team to go get wide receivers because the Eagles went and got AJ Brown. Um the the Chiefs went out and got Kadarius Tony. Like they were able to find weapons. Whereas, you know, Joe Lombardi again, a lot of scheme issues for sure. But he went to the podium and said, We don't have speed. Like we do not have a speed threat in the room. And Telesco and Saley went, Okay, good luck. You know, that's fine. (laughs) And again, There were plenty of scheme issues, but they kind of left him out, you know, hanging out to dry as well. So the investment in these premium positions, you
1: know, edge rusher, like you said, for the Chiefs being receiver, it's paying off. And that's why they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think like you're saying here, you know, avoiding that cliff after your starters is, is huge. And, you know, you look at the, the Chiefs in particular from a receiver standpoint, again, not the most stacked room, but you enter the season with starters, uh, your starting trio being Marquez Valdez, Scanlon, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Michael Hardman. You know, injuries to those guys didn't tank their receiver room. And obviously they had the midseason acquisition, but, you know, you have, those, you have that starting trio. None of them are star players by any means. None of them are like legitimate wide receiver ones. But, you know, then you also draft a Skymore. Then you also trade for, uh, you know, uh, Kadarius Tony. You have uh, Justin Watson. You know, waiting behind him. You know, you're taking these these swings on these receivers, and you know, in a playoff game where you lose Juju Smith-Schuster, you lose McCole Hardman, you lose Kadarius Tony, you have the guys behind them that can make up for things, and obviously their tight end room is is, is making up for it as well. But you know, you have a Marquez Rizvadoscan, and you have a Sky Moore who's a, who was a top 50 pick. You know, you have a Justin Watson to go in, in there and step up and make some plays. And, you know, like, imagine if the Chargers, imagine if Keenan Allen had gotten hurt against the the Jaguars, like where, where in that wide receiver room would have been in a playoff game with, you know, Josh Palmer, mm-hmm. DeAndre Carter, and, and Michael Bandy again, back at it. So we'll see how the process changes this year with Kellen Moore for the receiver room. But, you know, I talked about this last year with the Bengals. The Bengals were taking receivers every single draft, just like because you never know who that dart throw is going to be and, and who can hit. Uh, you know, obviously they're spending, you know, some first round picks and second round picks on guys, their main three guys, but mm-hmm. you know, you never know when a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick is going to turn into somebody who can, you know, be a viable replacement for a Tyler Boyd, be a viable replacement for a Tyree kill. And, and I think that's a great point as well. I think another lesson that the Chargers could take from the chiefs is the aggressive nature in which they really addressed their weakness last year, which was the secondary. So, obviously, you're you're talking about replacing a Charvarius Ward. You're replacing Tyron Matthews, two guys who played a lot of great football for you, and they go out, and it wasn't just like, oh, we got Trent McDuffie. We're good. Like, we're fine now. You know, they go out there. They also draft a Brian Cook. They draft a Joshua Williams. They draft mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Watson in the seventh round. Again, you never know when these guys are going to become something. And so they knew that they wanted to – get younger get more athletic get more physical in the secondary and it wasn't just like a one or a two player you know solution it was like we're gonna go be aggressive here we're gonna bring in this competition and we'll see what happens you know they also had some other players that were like starting in front of them you know they had Rashad Fenton who was playing for them they ended up just being able to cut him because they're like we we love all these rookies Uh, Trent McDuffie their first round pick their very first pick was injured I think he missed like six games okay Joshua Williams Jalen Watson you're set Mm -hmm. like let's go let's rock and I think that's something that the Chargers have never really done outside of like Joe Reed and KJ Hill who didn't really ever become anything (laughs) so like when you have these depth problems at receiver at tight end at edge rusher like go be aggressive and go attack those positions and don't just say like oh we're just going to play the board and take the best players like if you have needs like take multiple swings at it uh, in one draft and I think you know in this draft in particular like from a receiver perspective you don't really know how long Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are going to be on this roster you might have to cut Keenan Allen this year mm-hmm. but regardless of what happens this year with Keenan Allen I think the Chargers will be really wise to double dip at receiver you know double dip at tight and not obviously all of these things right but you have a lot of starters on this roster who have uncertain futures, and I think double dipping at some of these positions would be really, really smart for this team in the draft. And you know, maybe that's taking a, a Jalen Height in round one, and then you know, going back in, in on day three and, and adding another receiver. You know, mm-hmm. like the kid from Princeton who people are are pointing out that's like six three and can run like a four two four two forty or whatever. So. Again, I, I haven't done a ton of homework, legwork on day three of the draft for receivers, sure. but I think if you're really trying to be aggressive and solve your depth problems, you you have to double dip at some of these premium positions because, like Tyler was saying earlier, you didn't take any of them last year.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers have done a really good job the last couple of years of targeting at least one position group and overhauling it. Last year was the offensive line, which that continued this year. And then this past year was, you know, the interior defensive line room, which is completely different. They yeah. added, you know, four, five, six guys or whatever it was. Um, so they did a really good job with that, but they were able to have the luxury of just being able to spend a ton of money. You know, you could just go get Corey Lindsley. You can go get Sebastian Joseph day. You can go yeah. get Morgan Fox, Austin Johnson, Matt Filer, you know, and then you burn, you know, your first round picks on offensive linemen. They don't really have that luxury this year because they have no cap and I don't, I mean, they could, they could find a way of course. Um, but as things currently stand, there's no one they can really, you know, afford that's a starting caliber kind of guy right now, outside of bringing their own guys back. They have to go in the draft and, and double dip at some positions to aggressively address these needs. It can't just be like if they, even if they keep Keenan on, if they go get wide receiver, great, like go get a receiver and run one fine. Totally get it. But you can't stop there. You know, this receiving room can't be, you know, four guys you feel really good about. And then we'll just like, we'll hope it works out. You have, You know, some uncertainty, both with contracts, with injuries, with development of Josh Palmer. Don't just rely on like, oh, you know, we got one guy. We're good. Again, if you look at the Eagles draft last year, it was just trenches, 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 you know, interior defensive linemen, edge rushers, someone in the seventh round, someone in the fifth round, someone in the fourth round. You know, they just knew that they had to keep retooling these spots and it clearly paid off for them. So, yeah, an an aggressive push. I don't know what it'll be this year. Obviously, we'll see. If they cut Gerald Everett, we'll kind of know where they're going. If they cut Keenan Allen, we'll know where they're going, that sort of thing. But whatever it ends up being, I hope it's aggressive.
1: I hope it's more than just one guy. Yeah, I absolutely agree there. Uh, Alex and uh, LD Bruin also pointing out, you know, trading down. Like, Tom Velasco never does it. Goodness gracious. All these teams do. It. I mean, you look at the Eagles draft, draft history, and there's like six classes since Howie Roseman has been in the draft that the Eagles have made like 12 picks like again you just you just never know like when these guys are are going to hit like i think mm-hmm. the more bites at the apple the better at this point yeah uh, you know tom telesco was was very proud of the fact that he traded two of the seventh round picks this year to get back the sixth round pick next year and it's like well you could have you could have <laughs> had two players instead of one tom like you could have had two chances to draft players instead of one yeah and you know the the chargers only have they have seven picks this year and that's not enough like you Now that you're starting to prepare for this, you know, Justin Herbert contract extension, Mm -hmm. you need as many picks as possible and you need to hit on as many picks as possible. And like, you know, just heading into every draft when Justin Herbert's making $52 million or whatever it is, and you have seven picks in that draft, it's not good enough. Like you need more picks, more chances to, to find these quality players because you just, you just never know like when you're going to be able to find these, these late round gems. And it's like, you're heading into day three heading into day two with those five picks it's like you're limiting the amount of chances you get to really make an impact and like and there will be some comp picks that come here and there but mm-hmm. you know them having only seven picks if they make only seven picks this draft i think that's a that's uh at least a bit of a failure for telesco this year
2: yeah, I would say so I don't really know again because I have my big board is eleven players right now. so <laughs> I, I can't say I know what the draft looks like from top to bottom, but yeah, you know it doesn't really seem like there's going to be too much of a significant difference if the chargers draft at twenty one versus twenty seven, twenty eight or something. right. I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I knew this a lot more last year, this year, not so much. Um, but if you can trade back and hey, if you want to trade back and then later in a different round, trade up. That's fine. I mean, the Eagles traded up for Jordan Davis, but then they traded with the Saints. Um, They traded back with the Jaguars in the fifth round. Uh, I think the Chiefs traded up in the first round, but then they traded back in the second round for Sky Moore. You know, find ways to be able to move over the board because sometimes, especially if you look at the third round this past season, um, you know, the Chargers had, there were guys that were like right there that would have loved for the Chargers to have. Maybe it's a Nick Benito or something, like just a few spots away. Um, Some people argued that, you know, maybe... The Chargers wanted to go get, um, what's his name, Zamir White. Um, that's more of a conspiracy sort of thing because we never actually <laughs> confirmed that. But then yeah. they went out and got Isaiah Spiller like, oh, shoot, I was going to get this guy. Now I have to take this guy. Whether you believe that or not, I don't know. But sometimes there's guys like that are they're just so close. And you know, if you just trade back a little bit and find some ammo to also move up later on, yeah. um, do that. I would like to see the Chargers move around the board, not just up for a running back up for a linebacker, up for another linebacker, up for another linebacker. <laughs> I would love to see them you know, trade back and acquire some picks because the Chargers had four picks on day six, or excuse me, not day six, on round six and round seven uh, combined. And are they all going to hit? Not necessarily, but Jamari Sawyer is now a starter along the offensive line, I'm assuming, for like $900,000. Yeah. In theory, Jaw Taylor could be a starter at slot either this year or next year for you know a fraction of the cost. Dean Leonard's playing on special teams. Xander Horvath is kind of sort of a starter, but like that was the best part of the draft was, was round six and round seven. Yeah. You know, if you just accumulate one more pick, you know, if you're a a GM that goes, you know, a 50% hit rate, let's say on, on picks, get two players or get two picks because then your odds are, you're going to hit on one of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Tyler, any other uh, lessons you want to mention here from these two teams?
2: Yeah, last one, which is, again, I talked about, the Chargers don't really have cap space this year, so I don't know what they can do, but in general, and I think the Chargers really did a good job with this this past off season was finding the talented players at discounted prices, which sounds so easy. Like, oh yeah, just go find the guy. But like, you know, the Eagles said, oh, Kaiser White, no one's paying you, let's go take you. that's great. James Bradbury, oh, it's a really nice low contract, you just got cut, let's go scoop you up. Uh, Nakobe Dean was someone that was potentially a first round pick, but there was that injury and they said, yeah, you know, we'll go get him. Chauncey Gardner Johnson and this, you know, to a slightly different extent, but Hassan Reddick, who I swear to God, we've been wanting the Chargers to sign for 14 (laughs) years. Um, Nobody wants Hassan Reddick, but the Eagles said, I like those numbers. I see a discount. Let's go get him and I don't know what he's making, but it's probably not all that much. I think it's like 16 to 18 million dollars per year.
1: No, he's like edge, it, he's like edge 14 on the market. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Really right. Crazy. And his
2: what are his numbers this year? Ridiculous, as they were the previous two seasons, yeah, with the Panthers and with the Cardinals. But the Eagles just like just, they just they made the smart decisions to go buy low on these guys. And again, it's not super easy to just go do that. Not everything works out. But I feel like in Telesco's, you know, career, he's found some good buy-low options. And this past offseason, how great is it that we had Morgan Fox, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Van Noy playing for like yeah. $4 million combined. Um, and now you either might have them back or you'll get comp picks for them or something. Um, and of course, you had production from them last season. So easier said than done. But I think following the Eagles profile pathway of just finding these low cost, you know, higher upside sort of guys, you know, go find the discarded guys that have still have something left to prove. Um, and I think that you have to at this point because when Herbert's contract kicks in,
1: you can't just go find the, you know, the hundred million dollar guys. Alex is picking a son Reddick to win Super Bowl MVP already. So I, I think that's honestly a pretty good bet. I don't know what the odds are, but um, yeah, uh, Tyler, I think that's a great point though. I mean, like I, I can't even imagine where the chargers would have been this year without Calvin and Morgan Fox and Bryce Callahan and like how much worse the defense would have been if they would have just like rolled with the draft and their previous free agency stuff. So uh, I think that's a great point. So, when you know, and again, you're you're living in this world where you're going to be having expensive contract at a quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be able to take swings like that. And, and I think the Eagles have done a good job with that. They don't have an expensive quarterback. They they still technically are paying Carson Wentz, I believe, um, <laughs> from some from from some dead money. But I, I think the Chiefs have done a good job of that as well. And and the nice thing about those post draft free agency signs is they don't count against the comp pick formula, so you can really. Uh, help yourself that way. And again, ComPix is really kind of becoming a a cheat code for a lot of these teams and the Chargers should uh, definitely be a team to uh, take notice there. All right, Tyler, uh, how are you leaning for this game? How do you see this uh, this Super Bowl kind of playing out tomorrow? (sighs) Oh, man. Oh, hello, mom.
2: Uh, Thank you for the super (laughs) sticker. Yes, Exton, Pennsylvania. That's where my mom is from. Certainly Pennsylvania roots are. Um, What shall I do with my winnings? Uh, Vegas bound, let's go Eagles. She's betting on the Eagles. She's betting the amount of money that her address was at Exton, Pennsylvania. Um, No, it's not, oh. thankfully, a five-digit number. It's not like that or anything. <laughs> it's a three-digit number, so it's not going to be... Okay, I was you know, going to say,
1: if that's still a four-digit number, that's still, still a good chunk of change, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, three-digit number. Uh, I mean, she could go out and do it.
2: Six-digit number if she wanted or something, but <laughs> um, no, just a three-digit number. So hopefully she wins. Um, where am I leaning? I do think the Eagles pulled this one off. um I just think they're kind of a train that keeps on rolling, and they're pretty good in the trenches. I think anyone who just goes out and says that like the Eagles have a clear-cut, obvious advantage at every spot, you know, I don't really buy that. Of course, other than you know tight end and quarterback. I think the Chiefs are closer in some regards to the Eagles than maybe some people think. But overall, I just think the Eagles just have it all together right now. Um they're they're great in the trenches and they're good in the secondary and they're good at the premium positions. I just I just Mahomes can do amazing things. It'll be a close game, but I am leaning leaning that the Eagles win.
1: Yeah, I think the Chiefs, you know, like defensive line in particular, you have Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Weirdly is like second all time in playoff sacks. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing to me how he just like is a below average pass rusher in the regular season and then the playoffs. He's like the best pass rusher in like the history of postseason pass rushers. Um, so the, the Chiefs have a good defensive line as well. You know, they're playing well. I I'm a big fan of the Chiefs linebackers. Um, you know, this young secondary mm-hmm. for the Chiefs plays they're very opportunistic. So I do think the Chiefs are going to make it close. I mean, there's a lot of people kind of predicting an Eagles blowout. I don't really see that happening. I mean, you have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid. Like, you're going to have a chance in in every single game that you head into. So, Mm -hmm. I think the Chiefs will make it close. I just think that the Eagles, what they do in the trenches, is so overwhelming throughout the course of a game. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, the the 49ers defense managed to keep it close, but – eventually you know they just started to wear down nick bosa and company and uh, you know up front and i think it's the same thing for the from the defensive line perspective like you're able to throw <laughs> all these guys like not even just from an interester standpoint you have a, you have javon hargrave and fletcher cox in the middle as well as, as limbaugh joseph and dominican sue and, and all these other guys so um I, I think the eagles are just overwhelming in the trenches and that's why they're so good um So I'd say I'd pick the Eagles probably winning like a 30 to 24, 25 game, something like that. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Any idea what the line is? Um, Alex is in here. Alex can tell us (laughs) (laughs) probably quicker than I could look something up. Um, I want to say it's like Eagles minus three. That would be my guess right now. Yeah. That sounds about right. I don't know if anybody else in the chat besides Alex wants to let us know what the line is, but uh, yeah. I would imagine it's a close one. Yeah. And as Everett points out, we got to watch Kaiser White. Uh, <sighs> the Eagles have a few Utah connections, too. Obviously, Britton Covey, my guy, the punt returner, and then Brian Johnson. Uh, you know, so they got some Utah connections in there. Um, Alex says Eagles 2.5. That's what he thinks it's at. So there we go. Cool. And uh, my brother's an Eagles fan, too. So it, oh, nice. It worked out, I guess.
2: Yeah. I I typically root for the AFC. Like If I'm out of rooting interest, I'll just kind of lean towards the AFC because that's our conference,
0: but uh, nope, Eagles
1: on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't root for the
0: Chiefs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, so um,
2: what's up? Oh, no, I just uh, – Alden, one of our YouTube members, sent a question. I, I didn't know Alex Tanney. Were you familiar with him? No,
1: actually I'm not.
2: Hmm.
1: you have to I'll let us know who that is, is he, Alden. The, uh, is he the assistant quarterback's coach? Did you expect uh, Daniel
2: Jones' quarterback coach from college and the Raiders <laughs> quarterback assistant, whatever,
1: to uh, be interviewed? The fact that that is the only interview we know about is, is, is something <laughs> um, he's been in the NFL for one season. Like, come on, what are we doing here? Um, all right. So Alex Tanney was hired by the Eagles in 2021 as a quality control coach. So <laughs> I guess similar vein as this other guy. Um, Tanny played actually nine seasons in the NFL. He mostly has a backup quarterback from 2012 to 2020. Okay. So he's, he's just barely getting into coaching. All right. Um, so he's, he's played for several teams, including the Cowboys in 2013, Browns, Buccaneers, Titans, Bills, Colts and Giants. Um, yeah, so he's, he's kind of a younger guy played in the NFL. I guess I wouldn't be like opposed to this, but. You know, we'll see what happens there. That's a good one. I think that's a good call.
2: I I don't know how often you get a new quarterbacks coach with a ton of experience, but I I don't know. This is a very important hire because, in in theory, Kellen Morris is gone in a year. So, this is your 2024 offensive coordinator potentially. So, I don't know if I'd love the idea of a guy with one year in the league to be, and eventually two, of course, um, to be the future offensive coordinator. But I don't know. I don't know how often, how many guys are usually interviewed for a quarterback's coach job? I mean, for the Chargers, it was one linebacker's coach interview. They got the guy and that was it. So I don't know if this is like an intentional, just this one guy and that's it sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if you would know this. Is the Rooney rule applicable to all coaching hires or just like head coaches and coordinators? Yeah, I believe it was head
2: coaches. Now it extends to coordinators. And I believe that's it. Maybe front office as well
1: but I don't think it applies to position coaches. Yeah, so obviously the the Chargers did hire – I almost said Ron Howard again. Jeff Howard, uh, the former defensive backs and passing game coordinator for the Browns, he's coming over to coach the Chargers linebackers uh, this season. So he's never coached linebackers before. I am a little (laughs) – I don't want to say concerned, but I guess curious to see how this works out since he – uh, has never coached linebackers before that's a that's a bit of a difference going from secondary to linebackers and uh, I would have liked to you know I keep on wanting Brandon Staley to get more experienced coaches in the room and he keeps on going back to these younger guys which it, if that's the way that he wants to do things like yeah. by all means go ahead but I feel like you could have gone out and gotten a little bit more experienced candidate at least someone who's actually coached linebackers before. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my other
2: lessons from these teams, finding a couple of assistants, a couple of guys. Now, you might get a Joe Party, but I do think there was some stability in that first season. That was good. It just didn't pan out. But yeah, the, I would have loved to see them find a couple of veterans because you also get your Ryan Fickens,
1: who just come in and turn things around in three games. Yeah, so Alex pointing out uh, Rooney Rule is all hires. Oh. Um, and I guess you don't have to announce interviews for other uh, non coordinator head coach positions, so that is also true. <laughs> um, getting back to the quarterback, uh, uh, coach here for a second, and uh, chat, you guys can start asking questions too. I should have said that, but uh, we'll pivot to our QA portion of the show. Uh, Pep Hamilton was not renewed by the Houston Texans, he mm-hmm. is available. What would you, uh, what's your take here on potentially like bringing him back? Do you think Staley would do it? Do you think that he would be a good fit for Kellen Moore? Because, I mean, everybody's going to keep asking us about this because, you know, there's that fondness of the way that Justin Herbert played as a rookie.
2: It's tough to say with Pep Hamilton. As far as a quarterbacks coach, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, I think you see the success that he had early in the league with Pep Hamilton and Justin Herbert paired. So I think that's a no-brainer. It, it's really looking ahead to that offensive coordinator role I mean, is that a good fit? I don't know exactly how much Hamilton and more schemes, you know, kind of blend with each other or fit. I don't know. Um, As a quarterback coach, I think it's a no brainer. But again, we are looking ahead to 2024 because this is your potentially your offensive coordinator and it's not entirely his fault, but it's not like the Texans had a fantastic offense either. Um, Yeah. Which kind of sours things. I'd have to do more digging into what the Texans were trying to do because they you know, weren't the best offense unless they were playing the chargers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think Pep Hamilton, like, I think he's a really good quarterbacks coach. Like I think if you look at obviously what he did for Justin Herbert and then going to the Texans, like I think Davis mills was definitely better as a rookie than he was last year. And I think some of that is Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator. Some of that is Pep Hamilton being his quarterbacks coach. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what Pep Hamilton did this year as the offensive coordinator and, and Davis mills did not look like a, a, quality young quarterback he looked like he was somebody who had took who had taken a step back so I'm not opposed to him coming back but like Tyler is saying I think you're you're wanting somebody who has that potential to be the offensive coordinator next year that's kind of why I thought like Gerard Johnson would make a lot of sense as mm-hmm. quarterbacks coach as LD Bruin points out in the chat too um you know somebody who has like the schematic ties that Brandon Staley wants and also somebody that has played the position in the league played the position in college like he's He's kind of like a coach on the rise that theoretically could be ready to rock as offensive coordinator next year. Mm-hmm. So I think he would check a lot of boxes for them. And I just I love the idea of having like two former NFL quarterbacks in the same room like working with Justin Herbert going forward. I think that that would be a really smart thing for them. Um so Gerard Johnson would make a lot of sense for me. These these other two that, you know, we talked about today that have one year of coaching experience, I'm I'm just not like super interested there. So I think Pep in a vacuum as an as a quarterback's coach would be fantastic for Justin Herbert. Uh I just I would be, you know, uncomfortable with like the schematic fit here because Brandon Staley wants his coaches, you know, pretty clearly to be in like this West Coast Shanahan kind of hybrid system or even like all Shanahan system, McVay system. And, you know, Pep Hamilton has his roots in in the Jim Harbaugh system, which I don't even know how you classify that one, you know, specifically, <laughs> but um, I just don't think he's really like a schematic fit for offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And then also like you're talking about, you know, just, you know, the offensive coordinator history is not great for Pep. I mean, not just last year, the Texans, like when he was the Colts, OC wasn't great either. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'd am i be oh, cool with it, but I'm not like, yeah, that would be, that, this is a home run, like no brainer. I guess in theory he could just be the quarterback's
2: coach and then remain the quarterback's coach. It's not like the Chargers have to promote their quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator. It just seems right. like the progression. Um, so I guess he could join as, as quarterback's coach. You know Tom Telesco has brought back coaches before. I believe at least Ken Wisenhunt. Um, I'm trying to think of another potential coach I'm thinking of, um, but at least Ken Wisenhunt. Although that was that was kind of a Philip Rivers sort of thing. But right. again, in that same vein, if you're doing That's that for right, Philip Rivers, you could do Pep Hamilton for Justin Herbert. So definitely possible.
1: Absolutely. All right. So uh, we'll get to some questions here. We'll uh, see how obviously the chargers (laughs) handle this quarterback's coach position higher. Um, You know, I would love to see them get kind of a more experienced coach in there, but we'll see what happens. So we'll take questions for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. uh, So you guys can fire away. Obviously any super chats are greatly appreciated uh, and encouraged. So, uh, you know, let us know. Let us uh, hit us with your best questions. We're still here, audio audience. <laughs> we are still here. Yeah, sorry, I was scrolling up to see if anybody had had asked something different. So, no, it's a pretty light chat today. Everybody's getting ready for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I get it.
2: Well, Chad, I heard about an extension, but I can't talk about it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> we'll drop some hints uh, throughout the the rest of the off season, like we like you did with uh, the Joey Bosa news and all that. Yeah, now I have to be careful now though, because I feel like I'm going to accidentally put
2: something that completely doesn't make any sense, <laughs> um, and people are going to run wild with it. So I guess that's part of it. That's or uh, the Rashawn Slater, you know. Uh, yeah, man. Addressing. Yeah, man. One person knew it. Lived in uh, Huntington Beach or Fountain Valley. That was a fun one.
1: Yeah, that was one. Um, Blaine Paulette wants to know, did we see enough Horvath last season to start giving him opportunities at Running Back? I don't know if we necessarily see him get involved at Running Back, but I, I am curious overall to see what the plan is for Xander Horvath going forward, because like I watched six games of the Cowboys tape and I don't think I saw them use like a regular fullback once it was always like a six offensive lineman or one of the tight ends. Uh, so don't really know if fullback is really something Killenmore Moore prioritizes.
2: Not to hijack the conversation, but I'm not going to have to ask, ask you a question. Can you tell me about the Hulk package?
1: so the the hulk package that kellen moore did uh throughout the last couple of seasons um it's just variations of of ways to get six offensive linemen onto the field so obviously they had Connor mcgovern mcgovern the last few years somebody that they actually paid a good amount of money to like come over and so uh if you look at his snaps like there were games where he was playing like 15 20 snaps as as a six offensive lineman so um the specific hulk package is this like old school wing t package so they'll put Dak in the pistol they'll have regular five offensive linemen and then to Dak's left or right they'll have a tight end and then mcgovern and then a running back behind him so it's like this old school like wing t shotgun <laughs> variation of it and i think the players started calling it the hulk package because it okay know, they- you know, I mean, talking about Zeke was usually the running back, so he's a big running back, and then Connor McGovern, six offensive linemen, and then a tight end. And uh they did some really cool stuff out of it, man. Like there was even a time where it wasn't McGovern because McGovern was starting, but they brought in the sixth offensive linemen and they actually had him run a route, man. I was like so happy. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. I love this shit so much. But uh, you know, generally speaking, i will do like two receivers. And, uh-huh. you know, you're just able to do like these really cool route combinations out of this package. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they would have Schultz, you know, line up next to him and then running like choice routes out of the backfield. And then you have like your two receivers running go balls or, or comebacks or posts and corners. Like, mm-hmm. I think you can just it's it's a really creative way for them to like scheme up things. So uh, I had heard about it like I read uh, Dallas Cowboys wire article about it and then i watched them run it and i'm like this is fucking awesome i love this <laughs> let's get a uh, luke musgrave in the backfield have him fly on a oh, ball or something yeah and whoever the six offensive lineman is like because this whole year i was like the tight end room sucks like use a six offensive <laughs> lineman like get better blockers <laughs> out there and they never did yeah. it. It Pissed me off so uh yeah. it will not be an issue with kellen moore next year hope not uh some people guessing about the extension so you know we'll uh, we'll keep you guys guessing for the rest of the spring uh, i guess it's really for like the next month but uh thomas martinez jt woods feature at safety or corner what do you what do you make of jt this this spring and summer and, and what he's able to potentially offer the chargers next year
2: uh okay uh, their plan clearly it seems was to make him the starting safety in 2023, right? Which makes sense. You have Nasir Adderley leaving. You don't maybe feel so great about him. You invest a high pick and a safety that you can develop. And you know, not a first rounder, you know, Dax Hill, Kyle Hamilton kind of type, but you develop him, and the following year, you make him your starting free safety with Derwin James. Great. Everything about the plan was great. The plan <laughs> did not work out. Unfortunately, or it has not worked out so far. I don't want to discount what he can end up doing. I, I think he will find a role, but I, I only see him as a free safety. And frankly, I think he's their safety three next season uh, at corner. As far as corner goes, I think he tried one or two reps there against the Rams. And I know Daniel Popper pointed that out, but I think that was literally because they did not have other players available. Once they pulled the starting group, um, I don't think they actually want him at corner. I have not heard that they're trying to actually make him some sort of corner. So I think he's their safety three next season. I think at maybe at some point, you know, you take over for Alohi Gilman, but I think Gilman's earned at least the right to be out there and be the safety two until they either drop somebody else or you know he gets hurt or doesn't play well. So I think he's safety three. I don't think he's a corner, and I think because they have Jaw Taylor, because they have Dean Leonard. Those are the corners you're developing. JT Woods, hey, you know, take some reps at corner during training camp or, you know, find some other ways to be useful. Absolutely. But I don't think he's going to be their corner. And he wasn't doing a lot of man-to-man stuff in college really anyway. So it's not like I, I feel like, oh, he's not like well, um, Dax Hill, I guess, right? If he wasn't like out there yeah. in the slot in coverage <clears throat> almost half the time. Not the, quite the same. So I think he's just a deep free safety, not a corner.
1: Yeah, I'd be surprised. I, I think like... In an ideal world for JT, like he's somebody that can be a free safety and also maybe match up with some tight ends. Like I think because of his size and his length, I think that that is something that could be in his future if you're talking about like best case scenario. Um, you know, I, I think you give him the reps, you can certainly try and cross-train him and, and see where he's at. But um, I think his best attribute is is absolutely, you know, playing as a center fielder reading and reacting, making plays on the football, using that speed, that range. So we'll we'll see what happens. They they need him to take a leap this year because, it's like, theoretically, you draft another day three guy. Maybe you roll with Raheem Lane as, like, the safety four this year. We'll see what happens there. Mark Webb, obviously, on a futures contract. But it's like, if your safety room is Derwin, Alohi Gilman, JT Woods, and Raheem Lane, like you need you need JT Woods to take a leap forward, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if they'll have the luxury of taking a safety to like come in and challenge Alohi for the starting spot. I don't I, like they have so many other needs. Would it shock me if they drafted a safety earlier than people think? No, like if Brian Branch for Alabama is like the best player at twenty one, and, and mm-hmm. Brandon State wanted to take him, like wouldn't it shock me. But at the same time, like we just spent, you know, the first half of this show talking about like pass rushers and receivers (laughs) and tight ends and like all these things, you know, running back is a need defensive line is a need. So, you know, there's a chance that the safety room is the room that it is right now. You know, there's a chance that that's the room that we see come week one. And if JT Woods is not able to be like a, a viable NFL player, that's gonna be a big, big problem. Yeah, I think the four safeties that are
2: like the projected four right now, I think they all make the team unless someone gets hurt. I think Raheem Lane makes it now with Ryan Ficken being like, yeah, that's the guy I want there on special teams. He's going to make it, and he's on a cheap contract. Um, So I think he's out there. You're not cutting Alohi. You're obviously not cutting JT Woods. Clearly, you're not cutting Durbin James. So I I think that's your four, and maybe they had a fifth guy, but they haven't had a fifth safety in the room since I couldn't even remember when
1: maybe Stucky is a special teamer. Not that he was the fifth guy, but. No, I can't even remember. I mean, you know, in in this, in Brandon's defense, I wouldn't, again, It wouldn't surprise me if they wanted five, but I don't know where you get that fifth one (laughs) because you have all these other needs, man. And again, you only have seven picks. If you trade down, you want to get a safety, like go for it. But yeah, it's just like they need JT was to take a leap um interesting question here from ryan in terms of draft strategy mm. if they don't resign morgan fox do we prioritize getting a pass rushing defensive lineman or do you think they want a third edge rusher more so this is an this is an interesting spot because i i don't think there are that many pass rushing defensive linemen into your guys that i think really make a lot of sense for the chargers there are some definitely some some hybrid players like they could certainly take like a Keon white in the first round from georgia tech as uh, Alex Katzen pointed out, he's somebody that can play on the edge and inside. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you talk about uh, uh, Carl Brooks, uh, you know, later from Bowling, Bowling Green, you can play inside and outside. But if you're talking like true interior pass rusher, it's like Brian Brzee, who theoretically could fall. But again, how much do you trust his instant impact potential? Or Kalijah Kansi from Pittsburgh. Those are both guys you probably have to take in the first round. So, If you don't re-sign Morgan Fox, again, this is another thing. It's like (laughs) you need all these other players, but if you lose Morgan Fox, you have no interior pass rush heading into the season.
2: No, I I thought that could have been Otito, and maybe it still could be, but then they started playing him a lot more as like a nose sort of guy, um, which surprised me a bit because that's not what I would have expected. Um, I think he did perform pretty well there, but then if if that's kind of your role for him, you don't really have – um a guy so i think if they don't bring back morgan fox i could see them because he didn't have a great year and it's probably going to cost nothing i could see them looking again at akeem hicks who i believe is a free agent um again didn't have a great year but like you're out of options and you don't have money he'll be cheap so and he'll be cheap so i could see the chargers doing that developing otito you know that sort of thing but um, as far as like a pure pass rushing defensive lineman i don't I don't know how you would solve that with all your other issues, but yeah. you know, and you're not going to find a guy that's going to get 40 something, 45, 50 pressures this season either.
1: Yeah. I think at some point they will add a defensive lineman in the draft because, mm-hmm. you know, Austin Johnson's a free agent after this season. Yeah. Um, You know, there, there is some uncertainty in that room. So it wouldn't surprise me. Christian Hernandez following up with this uh, says, if we don't <laughs> keep Fox, this team isn't serious. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like I think Morgan Fox is, is a fantastic player.
2: Yeah, I, I I do appreciate what Drew Tranquil has done, but I feel like they have a a, a half decent plan behind him. If they don't, um, you know, bring him back. And I also feel like it's just easier to replace a, a linebacker in the system. I mean, I mean, it could just be Troy Reader for another veteran minimum contract with Morgan Fox. Like, yes, he's more expensive, but that's kind of all you have. Like, and and Trey Pipkins as well. Like, this is it. This is the guy you probably have to use. Those two guys you have to prioritize because there's no replacement on
1: the team, and it's very difficult to go find someone like that in the draft. Yeah, and I think like also people really underestimate like how difficult it is for a rookie to come in and like, you know, be a quality pass rusher. Like, I mean, even if they take Kalijakansy, who I think is probably the most pro-ready interior pass rusher, you know, there's there's no guarantee that he hits. 25 freshers and four sacks let alone what Morgan Fox mm-hmm. did last year where he's getting you know 40 and 7 and and also has you know top 10 in the league from a per play basis so um losing Morgan Fox would be a big deal i think it's like you you have to see where his market goes and if it's like past a certain point and you just can't afford him i would understand that yeah but if he's somebody who goes and makes like a 5 million dollar contract it's like yeah. you probably should find a way to
2: do that to keep him <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to see another Kaiser White situation. I do think it is possible because of how difficult it is for Joey Bosa to do what he does. He's an edge rusher, but I feel like the injuries that pile up and what he asked himself to do, the angles that he tries to take, the, the kind of freaky stuff he tries to do, I feel like he could not hold up better inside, but I feel like there's less opportunity for him to get as injured trying to make difficult angles and bend and cut back and that sort of thing. Um, not that he'll be, you know, an interior interior rusher, but I feel like if you lose Morgan Fox, you don't necessarily have to go get another defensive tackle that can rush the passer if there's no one good. Go find a good edge rusher in round one and let Khalil Mack, let Joey Bosa kind of work more inside and kind of you know, try to get the pass rush that way. Like a not not a defensive tackle, but it's some way they can, can try to, you know,
1: replicate what they had last year. Yeah, I think what you're mentioning, like what you're talking about here. Maybe you go and draft, like I said, a Keon White or Carl Brooks or somebody like that who can play on the edge and inside, mm-hmm. and then you go sign Hakeem Hicks, and then you just have a little bit more flexibility. You have somebody like Hakeem Hicks who can start whenever he's healthy, if he's healthy, right. uh, you know, start for you. And then you know that that rookie hybrid rusher, if you will, can kind of do both. And I think that also would help the run defense. Like you know, Keon White being a, a bigger player, like I think that is something that, in terms of like edge rushers, that they probably should prioritize these bigger edge rushers because mm-hmm. you have Chris Rump on the opposite side, who's who's obviously much lighter. Yeah. Um, so having that kind of balance between like the speed rusher of Rumpf and like a power rusher, I think would would make sense from a, a backup standpoint. You watched Keon White yet? I haven't looked at the. I have not. I have not oh, okay. tracked White film from twenty twenty two. So. Gotcha. But yeah. apparently, like lit up the Senior Bowl, and he's like two hundred and eighty pounds. So. I think, have, <laughs> I think Daniel Jeremiah has him as like 12th on his top 50. Like a lot of. Draft oh, wow. Yeah. He does a lot of
2: things. He's new to the position and he got hurt and there was a COVID year. So it's like, I think he's 24, which is probably going to kill his draft stock a little bit, push okay. him, you know, into round two maybe, but like he flashes so many different things and he's such a talented guy that, I mean, I, I really would consider taking him. Not at
1: 21, but
2: that'd be a guy I'd love to have in the second round.
1: There you go. Um, did you see any other questions you wanted to hit, or you want to stop it there? Um, not ones that I could answer,
2: like the one from LDE Bruin. Will to be ready for the start of the season? I really don't know. That's a great question.
1: I just don't know the answer to that one. Yeah, that's somebody we'll have to ask. Uh, something we'll have to ask Jameson, maybe. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe we can do an off-season injury recovery thing with him this year. That'll be depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, like, people need to know it. Yeah. No, people will watch it. So, makes me money. (laughs) There we go. There we go. All right, Tyler, any uh, final thoughts before we head out today? Fly, Eagles, fly. Nice. Short and sweet. Uh, appreciate all of you guys tuning in live today um you know obviously a bit of a quieter saturday um we are going to start diving into our official draft rankings shows next week uh at this time so uh Ooh. it's going to be you know fast and furious towards the draft from here on out for us so excited to uh really kick that up a notch and then uh we'll have a show planned of course on wednesday will let you guys know time and place for that but uh it should be fun. As always, if you are listening to this, please leave us a rating or review. We always appreciate that. Make sure to share this uh, episode with your friends. Football is always better with more people listening and tuning in. So I appreciate the word of mouth if possible. So uh, that being said, that's going to do it for us today, guys. We'll see you on uh, Wednesday and hope you have a great Super Bowl weekend.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?